The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, is sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, a leading Australian corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Focused on your vision, Barclay Pierce specialises in making it a successful reality. everyone and welcome to the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison. Now we're going to be chatting today to the co-founder of Airtasker, Tim Fong. Now Airtasker's right now has got a market cap of around about 445 million. It's listed under the ticker code ART for those of you who don't know already. Tim, hi, welcome to the Stock Insiders podcast. Oriel, thanks for having me. It's good to have you with us. How are you coping with the lockdown uh, down in New South Wales at the moment? Oh, look, it's a bit of a bummer, I must say, and it seems like it's, you know, continuing uh, to extend and potentially also sort of spreading into Melbourne. So that's certainly concerning. Uh, from a, a company uh, point of view, I think we've seen the recovery out of COVID be very, very rapid. So very temporary sort of uh, disruption for us. And then as an organization, um, you know, we've been working uh, remotely and flexibly for the past, you know, 16 months. So I think uh, we're, we're pretty good in that, but, you know, geez, we'd love to be able to get together and, you know, be able to spend some time and, and connect with other uh, people. So, you know, hoping that it does uh, come to a conclusion as, as soon as possible. Oh, you're definitely not the first person I've heard that from, that's for sure, uh, myself included. Um, Tim, you have had a well-documented but quite an incredible journey um, from where you started off to where you are today. Um, when you look back... Um, from when you started Airtasker and even, in fact, before that to your early years. Do you think that you were always an entrepreneur? Yeah, I think um, as a, you know, just as a personality trait, I'm probably um, a bit of an optimist, which um, which is probably a good uh, ingredient for, um, you know, to wanting to go and try uh, new things. And then I think probably a bit of a, a curious and dissatisfied um, person. So, you know, always throughout my life been, um, you know, trying new things and, and trying new ventures. Um, they weren't all in the form of companies, um, but but certainly um, I think I've had that skew since I was young, yes. So what, what, how, did, how did it start? I mean, I've, I've read numerous stories about um, you and your dad <laughs> and your relationship there and him falling asleep on the job. <laughs> so in terms of, um, in terms of like the, the early days, I think um, – you know, one of the first ways that I made money is I used to pick um, my dad's grey hairs out of his out of his head, and um, usually he would pay me, you know, three or four cents uh, for for um, each grey hair that I pulled out. Um, but one day I managed to negotiate up to ten cents, um, and when he fell asleep, I actually sat there for a couple of hours as a as a young uh, young boy um, pulling his hairs out, and I think I pulled out two hundred and fifty hairs. Um, and he, you know, I got him to cough up $25 and, um, that was sort of my first, uh, you know, business win. What, what about, okay. So, so take us to the start of Airtasker when you, when you first started this company and obviously you saw a need in the market, uh, for something and, and, and started the company as a result. Um, you know, you were also able to raise just over a million dollars quite early on. I mean, this has got a lot to do with contacts in the market. I mean, for all of those other entrepreneurs that are looking at a gap in the market or have an idea, what's the best advice very early on you can give those guys? 
Well, I guess um, stepping back a little bit from, you know, actually starting a, a company, one of the things that I, um, I think did during my career, and, you know, it wasn't um, necessarily strategic from the beginning, but um, I started out my career actually working for, you know, a fairly big company, Macquarie, um, Macquarie Bank, and learning my trade there, um, and then sort of ended up um, coming down and working for, uh, for some smaller companies, and then working for a, um, for a startup, which was started up by some really experienced founders before um, jumping into it myself with, with Airtasker. And I think along that journey, um, you build out a lot of um, you know, experience on, on best practice and also build up your network. And I think that made life a lot easier when um, you know, we went to start out um, Airtasker. So I guess my advice there would be, um, you know, if you're coming straight out of university or even if you're you know, at the beginning of that entrepreneurial journey, um, it, it, it makes sense, I think, to go and seek out experience um, and sort of work your way down towards um, you know, uh, starting something from scratch because it is really, really hard and, and you kind of want to have a bit of a basis or a platform to, to jump off ideally. It's really hard. And one of the hardest parts of starting the business is not just the idea and, and you know, maybe founding, finding a co-founder or, or two if that's the way that you want to do things, but raising money. Raising money is really hard because you go out there into the market and, and most of the VCs and, and investors want to see the cart before the horse you know they, they want to see that this product will work but then you need the funding to build the product in many cases how do you get around that well in our case i think one of the things uh that we did is think about um making the decision for someone to invest easy and to some degree create some you know urgency to to make that decision i think it's really easy to one uh, sort of uh walk around without evaluation without a viewpoint on how much money you want what the deal is for that investor. So I think kind of being investor-centric and thinking, well, what would they need to see to say yes to this and, and making that really easy um, and, and not to put a lot of cognitive burden on, on that investor. Um, I think some people tend to not want to put a number on the table of how much they're raising or what the valuation is. And, and most of the time, I think that that means that you're just making it harder uh, for the other person to make um, that, um, to make that uh, decision. Um, I think the same thing um, is sort of relevant in terms of timelines, like to sort of uh, a lot of the time people are like, oh, yeah, we're raising money, but, you know, we, we're not going to close the round for quite some time and, you know, have a time to think about it. I think you want to be fairly explicit with, um, with saying, look, we're trying to raise, you know, $500,000. The valuation that we're thinking about is, you know, $5 million and we're looking at closing that round in two months or in, in two weeks. Um, that helps an investor go either yes or no. Um, the second thing I would say is um, try and get um, some smart people uh, on your on your um, on your side and to um, to create some signaling for the rest of the market. So one thing that we did at Airtasker is we really focused on a couple of angel uh, investors that we knew um, you know had a track record. And as we were sort of like forming our pitch, um, we made sure that those people were really excited to get on the, the journey with, um, with us. Um, and of course, that meant sort of doing a lot of work to, um, to resolve their concerns. But once we'd done that, that helped us to build up positive momentum um, elsewhere. Are those angel investors that invest, invested in you initially still part of your investment base now? Yeah, they are. So uh, we had um, you know, a, great, um, a great entrepreneur, Justus Hammer, who was uh, part of the team that built up an, an early Aussie um, startup success called Spreets, uh, which ended up selling to Channel 7. Um, and then um, 
an investor named Manfred Hassler, who um, actually was one of the um, early starters of um, of online reverse auctions um, and, and was very successful um, in Silicon Valley uh, doing that. Um, so sort of getting those two people on board was um, was really what kickstarted um, our ability to raise money. And just going back to that, how did you get those kind of people on board? Well, we've had um, well, what I discovered when we were working at um, Amazim, um We had some founders who were um, who were part of the Amazim team uh, who were originally based in Germany, and I didn't realize, but uh, there's actually the German internet economy is is really big, and it's actually you know, really spreading across the globe. And um, in Australia, there was a huge contingent of successful uh, German entrepreneurs uh, from either Rocket Internet or from uh, from uh, Simio, which was the company that these folks were from. Um, so that was sort of how we built that network. We worked alongside many of these people building friendships and, and relationships whilst we were building Amazim. Um, and therefore, when we when we switched to do Airtasker, we were able to, you know, go back to those same people who'd, who'd seen how we operated um, built a lot of trust and and um, and able to you know start pitching them on the Airtasker story. So Tim, you know along the journey, um, and you alluded to this in, in a quick conversation we had before we started the record. But there's always criticism out there um, for leaders, for people in the public eye. You know whether it's government or CEOs or founders of big companies like, like yourself. I mean, you, you haven't gone through this journey without your fair share of criticism. What's been the hardest part? of dealing with that what's the hardest thing that you've had to deal with uh, uh, along the way well i think um internally you know there, there's constant um you know challenges with um uh with uh, people leadership and i think you know that I, I wouldn't single this out as the only um challenge that we've had or, or by far the, the biggest one but but one sort of predominant uh challenge is uh, balancing our um our culture of people matter or our value of people matter uh, which is all about thinking about the individual impact that you're having on on people, even when you're making really big and, and large scale decisions, treating people as individuals, understanding the impact that you're having, um, balancing that off against having a really high performance culture where you need to be keeping people accountable, um, having critical and difficult dis, um, uh, conversations uh, with people and holding them accountable for, for delivering really um, high bar work. And I think those two things, um, you know, often come into um, a need to, to balance um, each of those things off against each other. Um, I'd say that would be one of the big challenges because whichever way um, you, you lean towards, um, you're making trade-offs and people mostly observe the negative impact of those trade-offs uh, versus the positive ones. And, and often when, you know, good decisions are made, um, and good results are achieved over a long period of time. People don't really attribute that to you know decisions that were made earlier. So um, it can be a bit it can be a bit difficult because um, it feels like most of the time the observations about leaders are are the negative ones rather than the positive ones. Mm, yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty fair call. Um, Tim, talk to us about the listing, your company listing, and and how you've been doing since you've listed on the on the ASX. I mean, how, how did it feel as a founder, as a company leader? Um, to see the company take that step and how much more pressure is there on you now uh, versus prior to the listing? Well, maybe I can take a step back and sort of talk about the story that that led to the, the listing. So back in, um, I guess it started back in 2019 um, where um, we had a, a pretty critical, uh, a pivotal moment in Airtasker's history where we were like, we need to become um, profitable um, as a company. 
Uh, so we took action back in 2019 to, to do that. And we thought it was going to take a long time to get from where we were, which was burning around $2 million uh, per month in growth capital uh, towards becoming a cash flow positive company. Uh, but actually, it was really a fantastic journey. We managed to pull the team uh, together, align as a unit, and um, and get uh, to cash flow positive in, in seven or eight months, which was uh, really, really a great um, a company achievement. Um, that sort of took us through to the beginning of COVID, where we obviously saw a big impact at the beginning of COVID, but um, a very sharp bounce back, uh, um, which made 2020 our biggest year in terms of absolute growth. Um, as we saw that, um, you know, the way that the Airtasker model was able to adapt to the changing situation, we made the decision uh, to list. And there were two uh, reasons for that. One was that we saw the opportunity to give our employees and our taskers a really tangible uh, piece of ownership uh, in the Airtasker marketplace, which was uh, really um, a great um, and exciting thing to do and, and really aligns to our, um, our principles of um, aligning taskers, employees, and customers to all wanting uh, the same thing. Um, we made that decision to list in September of 2020. Um, and actually, we had a really smooth journey led by you know, a great finance team that we've built and, and listed in March uh, 21. Uh, since then, the journey has been pretty exciting. We, we upgraded our prospectus uh, forecast considerably. We acquired a, a company called Zali uh, to jumpstart our uh, launch into the US market. Uh, we raised around $20 million of growth capital. And then more recently, uh, we announced that we've, um, we uh, beat even our upgraded prospectus uh, guidance in terms of um, gross marketplace volume. Um, so look, it's been a really positive journey so far, but obviously comes with a bit more scrutiny too. So the pressure's on. You just talked about um, your journey into the US. Why not list in the US? Why not, why not do like Atlassian did? Well, Airtask is actually, you know, um, a large proportion of our community marketplace right now is still based in Australia. Um, and this is what we, where we call home. And we're really excited about developing uh, local talent and building out a, a Sydney-based um, elite team in, in, in product, engineering, data science, growth marketing. Um, and we, we call Australia home. So uh, we thought that it was absolutely the right thing to uh, bring our community and our employees on that journey. And uh, listing on the ASX allows us to do that. Um, I think, uh, you know, as we grow and um, you know, uh, increasingly the US and the UK markets become a larger part of our, um, of our marketplace activity and of our revenues and, and, and success, um, I think that, you know, um, the door is always open. So talk to us about that. Um, I know that you're looking at acquisitions at the moment in both the US and the, and the UK and, and sort of other areas of, of international expansion. Um, what's sort of on the radar for you right now? Well, I would say there that we really start with um, our product and marketing-led strategy. Um, and so, you know, when we, look at, um, when we look at developing strategy, we start out with the user and think about what are the problems that are at a user level What's our diagnosis of how we can address those user problems um, and how we can um, improve the lives of our customers and our taskers? And that maps out um, a roadmap of what we want to uh, deliver in terms of, of outputs, of, of product and uh, of marketing changes that we want to make. Um, if mergers and acquisitions, M&A is part of that, then that's absolutely something that we'll consider. But I wouldn't say that we lead with, um, with uh, M&A and acquisitions. Uh, we lead with um, a user-centric approach to what do our customers, what do our taskers need, and then what's the best tool to address that. And um, in the case of 
acquiring Zali in the US, we, we really looked at, you know, we want to start expanding and jumpstarting the Airtasker marketplace in, in new cities. Um, we want to do that in a way in which we can learn about how US customers and US taskers may differ uh, from the Australian market. And uh, the acquisition of Zali helped us do that. Hmm. So when you look at um, the Airtasker journey going forward, you talked about marketing, um, you talk, you've talked about international expansion. What do you see as your biggest channel challenge on a personal level when it comes to Airtasker going forward? Oh, on a personal level, I think there's there's uh, lots and lots of uh, challenges. I think as a as a founder, um, it's a really um, it's an interesting thing that you have to do every year. It feels like there's a, a fairly significant um, cutoff and restart on what your job actually is, um, and so you know as we scale um, our company and um, bring in um, you know. Um, new talent into the company it's really you know can you stay ahead of that game and keep growing as a as a leader um, so so far I think um, hopefully I've done an okay job of that but you know there, there's for every leader uh, you would imagine that there's some sort of um, limitations that, that that you reach um, and it's about how far along that journey that you go and how you can keep growing with the needs of the company um, so, yeah, I'm really excited to be in the role that I'm in at Airtasker, you know, as the CEO and the, and the founder of the company. Uh, but it is a constant challenge to keep, um, like, reflecting on where your growth areas are and then and then making change to deliver on those. Could you see yourself doing it all again? I mean, you know, down the track, once you've got Airtasker to a place where you're comfortable to, to sort of, you know, really put your succession planning in place, could you see yourself you know, going back to the start and, and starting another, going back to the startup where you're dealing with a million dollars at a time and, you know, trying to raise a angel round and a series A round and, and so forth. Do you see see that in yourself? I would say that the problems that we're solving at Airtasker are just so big. Uh, we're creating jobs and creating income and creating purpose uh, for people all across the world. And and that's something that I feel like is a is a lifelong journey. So, um, really, with Airtasker, that that's where my absolute focus is. And and even if um, you know at some point in the future I'm not the CEO of the company and we bring in someone else to um, you know to lead from that perspective, I think that the problem space that Airtasker is in is one that I want to be involved in uh, forever. Um, and I think that you know um, after you've gone through the journey of building up a a company uh, from scratch, I think it's really hard to think about having to do that again. So I would say for now, um, that's definitely not the plan. Now, Tim, just just before we let you go, just a couple of other questions. You know, COVID's had such a big impact on many companies right around the world, and we we do things differently now than we did beforehand. And with some of those changes, they're going to be long lasting changes. I mean, you've clearly seen an impact on your business. You alluded to it, you know, sort of early on in our conversation. Um, the sort of impact that COVID's had on your business and the way that you do things. How do you see things changing now going forward? You know, as we start to talk about international, you know, airlines sort of bringing more people into the country, taking more people out, vaccine passports, all of that sort of thing. How does this sort of, you know, reopening of economies, if you like, impact your business? Well, the first thing I would say is that um, Airtasker has had a very um, interesting um, impact due to COVID. Um, we, what we saw is a very small initial depression, but actually followed by an acceleration of growth in the marketplace. So for us, the impact is very, very temporary. Um, and so we actually issued some guidance around this um, in noting that, look, the, um, 
there's no way that um, the short-term impacts of um, of the Sydney lockdowns aren't um, you know going to uh, be felt. Um, but the long term is actually a positive uh, for for Airtasker and our business model. Um, so very confident um, about that. Um, in terms of um, the change over that longer period of, of how we come out of lockdown, uh, what we've seen is really interesting. Um, customers have really started to uh, drive a change in demand in the types of jobs uh, that are going through Airtasker. Um, and we're continuing to see customers really innovate on what they, um, what they want to use the Airtasker platform for. But I think even more excitingly is that um, the impact that we can have on helping to rebuild the economy and helping our taskers to be able to sell more services and make more money from the skills that they have. One of the uh, major strategic investments that we made was to build out a new product called Airtasker Listings. And the way listings works is that now any tasker, anyone who wants to be able to sell their services, can now create pre-packages of their services um, and list them uh, on Airtasker and actually really build out um, uh, their own opportunity. So, uh, for example, we have people on the platform now saying, look, I'm, I'm a person who knows about crypto trading. I can teach you how to do crypto trading for $300. Uh, or somebody saying, hey, I'm a, a comedian and I'll come and perform at your party for $150. All of these represent people being able to make money from their skills. Um, and that's something that I think is going to be really relevant um, as we come out of, uh, out of lockdowns and um, the economy needs to be rebuilt. Uh, we believe that the people of Airtasker are going to be a big part of that. Mm. And, you know, Tim, the fact that you're helping people and, and helping economic growth here in Australia and, of course, elsewhere around the world too, I think is uh, hugely relevant in this environment. Um, look, that is all we have time for, but a huge thank you for your time today, Tim. It's really been uh, great to take this journey with you. Ariel, thanks so much for having me. Tim Fung with us there, founder of Airtasker, and a thanks, of course, to all of our listeners, all of our supporters. You are listening to the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison. We'll see you next time. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, was sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, Australia's leading corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Barclay Pierce Capital provides specialised corporate advisory and equities trading services to privately owned businesses, small to medium-sized public and ASX-listed companies.